0: There are a lot of smaller operators who've come in and are probably a little bit underwater in Ontario. They're not making a ton of revenue so they are financing their Ontario activities by being a grey market operator in other Canadian provinces. That's how you're seeing some of these still surviving.
1: Hello again everybody and welcome to the Gaming News Canada show. It is Thursday, February 22nd And as always, I'm your host, Steve McAllister. We'd like to start the show today by uh, thanking everyone who joins us here on LinkedIn Audio every week and and also listens to the uh, GNCS on, on podcast and also the people who subscribe to Gaming News Canada. In an industry with an increasing number of, of really good journalists and, and newsletters providing great great information and insight these days, uh, our coverage here on this platform is, is being followed by, by more people than ever, so we, we thank you very much for that. On this edition of the show, right off the top, we're going to bring in Covers Gambling Industry beat writer Jeff Sakotny, who's going to uh, talk about his two days earlier this week in the Ontario Superior Court of Justice. And that, no, Jeff wasn't... Uh, Uh, jeff wasn't on trial we'll get into that in a second here regular insiders amanda brewer chris Abbott, and phil gray are also here to provide their perspectives on on the news of the week and they might want to weigh in on what happened in court as well but let's uh let's welcome back to the show to start Jeff economy and and jeff um as we were saying before we uh we got the show started and on social media this morning just uh uh, really grateful to you for your coverage uh, of the uh, of the two days in the Ontario Superior Court of Justice this week, the the case between iGaming Ontario and the Mohawk Council of Kahnawake. Great stuff. If you haven't had a chance to to see it yet, um, go to coverage.com or even uh, more easily uh, follow Jeff at Jeff's the Code Needs, O C H O D N E on the uh, platform formerly known as Twitter, and you can uh, find the links there to Jeff's coverage of, of court Hey Jeff, maybe just give us some key takeaways from your two days sitting and listening to the uh, the lawyers from both sides present their cases.
2: Just to to give like a high level overview of of the case to start. What you have is uh, the MCK, uh, this indigenous governmental association that you know helps administrate a community. It's it's near Montreal. Um, They they brought this application in Ontario Superior Court, in in effect challenging. you know, the constitutionality of Ontario's competitive iGaming gaming system. And they're they're they do that by um alleging it is all of these private sector operators that are now doing business in Ontario, you know, uh the, the DraftKings, the FanDuels, the Beth Fives, whoever's of the world are really the ones that are conducting and managing uh the gaming that's going on within that framework and that conducting and managing phrase is really key <laughs> as i'll as i'll get into and it's one that really got um picked over in court uh this week uh so that's that's the challenge that has been brought you know the mck they they have um a long-standing connection to online gambling and an even you know in, in there we're telling a connection that even goes further back when it comes to gambling in general you know they've set in court filings and submissions to parliament that they've been engaged in gaming, you know, from time immemorial, you know, they, they've been doing it for, for a very long time. So, um, they brought forward this challenge and then this week that, that first came up in November, 2022. And so we finally had the hearing on the application this past week and allowed the, the two sides to make these kind of verbal arguments, uh, to, to the judge. And I mean, The one main takeaway I I, I had from it is just uh, marveling at um, the history that really goes into Canadian gambling law and how you can try to interpret what's been said uh, in Parliament and in court for, for so long, like what these provisions that are being kind of debated in particular, whether it is, you know, what it means for a province to conduct and manage gambling which is really you know the, the 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 main issue here which is which is being fought over the, what it means for that to happen um you know dates back to 1969 john turner talking about stuff in the house of commons that kind of thing and so i was left just kind of um in awe of of how much history goes into you know these these provisions that we have that that govern modern gambling in Canada and then you have the, these two sides that are arguing, you know, what was said back then and what the, you know, the meaning and the intent of these words were uh, before the judge. And so I don't actually, I don't envy the judge at all, just because there was so much information brought forward about this matter.
1: Hey, Jeff, why don't you just uh, go, go to your point about the, the conduct and manage issue and, and the Mohawk council's assertion that that is actually the private operators who, who are running Running the industry in Ontario, and and again, I I know there's there's a there's a rationale there from from the uh, the council's league of representatives. But you know, at first blush, when you look at the market here, it's the the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario that that regulates the marketplace. Um, They created iGaming Ontario what back in uh, 2021, I I guess, to uh, to create this regulated regulated market in Ontario. Can, can you, are you able to go a little bit deeper and in, into the council and what the council had to say that in fact, it is the private operators and not I gaming Ontario who are, are running this industry?
2: Right. And what they are arguing is stuff that kind of seems apparent to people who engage in, in online gambling in Ontario right now um, saying, you know, when you place a bet, for instance, it's the operator that's handling that bet. Um, it's the operator that, that has a, a range of responsibilities and duties, uh, that are consumer facing that are kind of like inherent, you know, allegedly, I guess, inherently kind of evidence to, to, to people that like, th- this is being done by the company and not the province. Um, and so, you know, there, there's a lot of point to, uh, that bought by, by the MCK and, you know, you have questions of. Ownership of, you know, the websites themselves, um, just a lot, you know, a a lot. And (laughs) the the question then becomes, though, uh, you know, just because these duties are being carried out by uh, an operator, um, does that mean that they conduct and manage the gambling? And that is something that the the province kind of pushed back on, um, saying, you know, while you might place a bet with an operator um you know and the province is is in the background it doesn't mean the province can't assert themselves just because they're they're not putting themselves right up front and center and getting more engaged in the process it doesn't mean they can't and that they've in fact reserved their rights to do a lot more than they actually do and that operators have to make a great deal of uh concessions and agreement with the province to to do the business that they do so you have you know the the council on one side saying like you have all of these You know, this range of things that uh, would suggest that it's the operators that are really responsible for it, including the fact that they get uh, around 80% of the the gross gaming revenue from uh, their iGaming operations. And then the province saying, well, yeah, but the buck stops
1: with us, really. Right. And I think as Amanda Brewers made the point, Jeff, many times here and and in the newsletter is that the, the whole quote, conduct and manage is a complicated term or a term, I guess, that has a lot of different different translations. And I think it was Scott Hutchinson, the lawyer for Igo, you, you quote him in your piece on covers saying, uh, conducting and managing involves a more sophisticated directive role as opposed, as opposed to having your actual hands on the cards dealing them out of the table. And I'm, I'm assuming there was a lot of conversation around those those three words um, over the past two days.
2: Yeah. And uh, i I'm trying to work on a piece right now, trying to to sum up all what's been said and try and find a bit of a you know central narrative. And really it's, it centers around that, that conduct and manage phrase. And the funniest thing about it, to me anyway, is that there is no actual definition of conduct and manage in the criminal code. There is no firm, uh, you know, you look at the criminal code and it has definitions for all kinds of different things, including certain gambling activities, but that phrase, conduct and manage, which is so key to this case, has no hard, you know, hard definition in the code. And so what you have instead is discerning um, what was meant by it through parliamentary debate. And then you also have a few court cases that have happened since then, uh, where judges have tried to interpret what, you know, what what it means. And so, yeah, it's it's this really um, funny term, and not haha funny, but more funny in that, just like, what what does it actually mean? And then also too, there are three words in it and they, you know, there's conduct and managed, they go together, you know, doing one, doing the other, like it's, it's a whole thing. And this is why I said, I don't envy the judge because you, you have to parse all of this history and literature on the subject. And then also just come to grips with, with the definition itself. And then there are also matters even before that, that you have to consider before you even get to that consideration, you know, whether um, there's, they're standing to, to bring this case, that kind of thing. So it's, it's pretty. I found it pretty interesting, but again, I'm I'm pretty biased in this because this is
1: sort of the the, the waters that I swim in most days. Right. Hey, Jeff. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to catch your breath, and we'll get our we'll get our panel of experts in here. And Anna Brewer, maybe start with you, and just some quick thoughts on on what you've read and heard.
0: Yeah, so, uh, you know, going back to, you know, how the provinces ended up in charge of gaming, you know, when the federal government decided to just completely get out of gaming and just turned it over to the provinces and conduct and manage, you know, as I describe as that uniquely Canadian construct, that means a different thing depending which feet you, you know, which feet you where you, your feet stand are happening need to be standing in which province across Canada, because what conduct and manage means in Ontario is not what conduct and manage will mean in Quebec or BC or Saskatchewan or Atlantic Canada. So you also have the conundrum that every province has now been given the power to interpret that as they see fit. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting uh, court case just from that point of view alone, because, you know, What they're challenging, I don't think is just Ontario, but what happens when other provinces decide to follow suit Ontario? Does that mean more lawsuits? But the conduct and manage provisions could be very different, you know, in BC, Alberta, Quebec, anywhere else. So that's one thing. But I think Ontario's strongest defence in all of this. I loved Scott's quote that you had in there, Steve, about, you know, a conductor isn't playing all the instruments in orchestra, but he's certainly in charge of the orchestra. I thought that was a great analogy because you could immediately understand You know, if that was how those lawyers are choosing to interpret, conduct and manage or try to visualize, conduct and manage for those in the court, um, that operating agreement, I don't know how many um, who are listening have ever seen a copy of it. But as an operator coming into the market, you cannot legally offer your products and services until you've signed that operating agreement. That operating agreement is a small beast. Um, it's, It's lengthy. It's full of policies. It's full of a whole bunch of, as you know, Jeff was saying, concessions that the operators have to agree to, um, including the fact that 100% of their GGR goes to IGO. So before the operator ever gets paid, it goes over to IGO and then IGO remits that money back to the operator. So in fact, the operator is really just collecting the money on behalf of iGaming Ontario, remits it, and then IGO takes their 20% and pushes the other 80% back to the operator so i think the way that the revenue collection in the province and the way that that operating agreement has been structured yes IGO is not you know deciding on which product and you know what the bonusing or the offers will be for customers or what the advertising will look like in the market but if you want to ladder all that up to that actual Open operating agreement that every operator has to sign then i think there's a strong argument made for ontario's interpretation of conducted manage now let me say i'm not a gaming lawyer or i was not in the courtroom but just based on you know the time i spent as an operator based on you know the efforts and the work i was doing you know pre-market launch Um, that would be sort of where my level of comfort would be, you know, just knowing that, you know, if you're looking at it from a pure revenue generation standpoint, you know, it's the operator is actually waiting to get paid by IGO. Um, And also, you know, that operating agreement is, is a pretty hefty, solid document. So, you know, you know, and also that three day hearing, my understanding is wrapped up in two days. So, I would you know hopefully also take that as a positive sign that the judge agrees that Ontario does in fact um, conduct and manage this market properly.
1: Uh, Phil gray, you were you were pretty detailed in explaining the Mohawk Council of Oughnawaukee side on this issue last week on on the show and having had a chance to to read Jeff's coverage and, and um, read the newsletter this morning. Just any any additional thoughts from you on on the uh, on the two days of this uh, challenge.
3: Yes, I actually had dinner um, Tuesday night with uh, the outgoing CEO of Mohawk Online. He had a lot of thoughts on that, which uh, obviously are kind of off the record. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on, on the conduct and manage um, motion that Ganawage uh, has uh, produced. Uh, on, yeah, as, as, have, as Amanda said, it was a beast of a document oh. for compliance for Ontario. And having gone through that myself, I mean, the overwhelming bulk of it was, uh, in my opinion, conduct. It was tactical, it was auditing, it was software. There was certainly, as Amanda mentioned as well, um, the compliance. If, if Ontario says you have to do this, you have to do that. But it, that was still kind of, to me, an addendum to it. And how much of that is being enforced, I don't know. Um, purely speculation on my thought, if this case um, is denied on the MCK's part, which I, I, I think it will be, um, there will be a two-pronged effort coming out of Ganawage regarding governance um, to their own uh, Self adherence to to what they do uh, as far as a regulating body going back almost thirty years in Canada and whether or not they could operate in Ontario as their own governing body, purely that, again that's purely my own speculation. But I don't think if you see a dismissal of uh, the MCK's claim here that this would be the end of it in um, in any sense or form.
1: Yeah,
3: uh, Chris Abbott.
4: <laughs>
1: yeah,
3: I think uh, I think it's been covered pretty pretty well here by everybody.
4: I mean, my thoughts. Um... Kind of, I thought I thought the piece about you know the land-based casinos in Ontario license their operations, um, you know from the government down to an operator as well, which I thought was was kind of similar. Of course, is not the same, but I think it is um, at least kind of precedent-setting when you when you talk about the the structure and framework. And you know, my the only other take I'd have on that is like this. Um, regime didn't come into place overnight i would think and hope that the AGco i gave in Ontario the government of Ontario made sure they had their ducks in order because the legislation in the in the country and the and uh you know pre-existing in the provinces is is old uh, and and definitely lends itself to interpretation i would think they spent an awful lot of time making sure that what they'd come up with was was compliant
1: Hey Jeff, you, you spent some time as a as a Queens Park reporter in a in a previous life, and there's some type of federal jurisdiction. Here. You obviously have the provincial jurisdiction, then you have the the an indigenous community involved at all. Is is that a fair comment? That it just it it, it does it makes it a lot more muddy than than black and white.
2: Yeah, the, I mean the federal rule did come up in court this week, and there was some argument over what the federal government has said about ontario's iGaming system which publicly is not a whole lot um and it uh the, the mck uh has apparently reached out to the federal government to ask them uh to, to weigh in here and has not received a response and and the federal government did not you know is not party to this matter and has not Uh, really chimed in 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 any way to say you know we agree or we disagree with this and so that was (laughs) it was it was funny because there were submissions saying you know the the federal government not saying something is very telling and that them not saying anything is is not very telling at all it it could be viewed as they are quietly consenting or quietly disagreeing and not showing up to, to argue for or against it so it's it does add uh, more complexity to the case and to, to to Chris's point, you know, you would hope that the province would have, you know, they, they, they were working on this. The, the first announcement that they were going to launch this competitive network dates back to 2019 uh, in, in a budget document. And so, you know, there was a lot of heads up that, that this was coming, even you know, this was announced even before we had the the decriminalization of single game sports betting in 2021. The province was already working on a framework. And I I remember the Attorney General of Ontario told me one time that they were prepared to go forward with the iGaming framework, even if they didn't have single game sports betting. I guess it would have been like a a parlay heavy uh, online sports betting system in in that regard. Um, And so, yeah, there was a lot of lead up to the launch, and the federal government didn't really come down one way or another, um, giving an opinion about what it thought about this, this iGaming network.
1: Hey, Jeff, um, as someone who, uh, who probably watches way too much cable news television in the U.S. these days and, and court cases that are very highly contentious and, and uh, actually, to, to be completely honest, a, a bit insane, I was hoping maybe you could just take us into that courtroom with, with Justice Lisa Brownstone and, and the lawyers and just th- that walk us through the process of those two days and, and uh, you know, just what the scene was like in that courtroom.
2: It was very um, quiet and uh, respectful the the entire time. Essentially, you have the judge sitting up front, um, handful of lawyers sitting in the desks rows in, in front of her, and then the the gallery at the back where I was sitting. And you know, a lot of uh, wooden <laughs> fixtures, and uh, it was inside the the Canada Life building there on University, so it, it, a very noticeable building. But it was. It was a very um, thoughtful, I thought, hearing. And again, I don't spend a ton of time in court anymore. In, in a past life, I, I followed some some criminal stuff in, in courthouses, but not so much anymore. Um, but the whole way through, you know. And the the funny thing when you follow these uh, civil matters too is you have the lawyers referring to each other as my friend. My friend said this. My friend said that. Even though what they're saying afterwards is in total disagreement with what their quote friend just said. So it's a very um, it's a very respectful process. And, uh, it was very, you know, the judge asked uh questions trying to, to to probe some of the points that were being made. Um, but the whole way through, it was just a very, um, you know, you, you wouldn't really know that this was something to have to do with like the glitz and glamor of online gambling in some ways,
1: because it was just so, um, quiet really. Hey Jeff, it's, it's very possible. I, I missed this in your, your article this morning, but, um, The fact that they were able to wrap this hearing up in two days, to Amanda's point, was was there any, uh, was it just simply a case where both sides had presented all of their quote evidence and there was no need for a third day, or or is there anything, anything else we're missing there? Uh,
2: no, I don't think so. There was extensive documentation provided by the two sides leading up to their appearance, right? There are factums from, factums, facta, I don't know what the, the plural factum would be, but uh, from the MCK, from iGaming Ontario, from the Attorney General's office, really outlining their points on on this matter. So there's a lot of background information that went into it. And so what I, what I tried to do in, in my coverage this week was pick up on the stuff that didn't previously appear in documents or is that or that was trying to argue against some of what was already raised in that documentation that we hadn't already heard about yet so there was a ton said um in the courtroom you know this was more than probably like 10 hours of 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 submissions from the two sides overall over the course of two days so not everything I, i haven't written everything in into my stories because that would entail, you know, tens of thousands of words I think and uh, I only have I only have so many words to give but um
1: there there was a lot already said before they even got into the courtroom. It felt great. I think you may have mentioned this last week but you know I just wonder how how much of a hit has Kanawaki taken or or Mohawk online or, um from from the competitive marketplace here in Ontario.
3: Oh, substantial, and the socio-economic program that had been launched you know, a number of years ago with gaming in Ganawage was significant. I mean, we can go back to COVID. Uh, you know, Mohawk Online gave a couple of million dollars just a, a couple of months into uh, the COVID crisis in Ganawage for support there. And one word I would have on uh, on the federal government's silence right now is that that's nothing new. Um, as I said last week, Ganawage. Was was far ahead of Bill C218. We knew it was coming, or they knew it was coming. Um, They made many motions, um, many attempts to engage the federal government and the Ontario government as well. And we're met with a lot of indifference and silence. And then, as it became closer, uh, Ontario um, and I can say this because I was there. There was a few broken promises made. So there's there is a lot of um, animosity within uh, the territory right now as to how they've been excluded from the uh, the gaming scheme in in Canada, and as I said, I don't think uh, a dismissal of their motion uh, this week or a couple of months, I guess, where it's going to come down, will be the end of it. I think there's going to continue to challenge uh, their their right to operate um, as a regulated body within Canada's gaming network.
1: I just mentioned Amanda's earlier point about the other provinces that you know. It- we're able to see with the newsletter uh, where the engagement comes from uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And uh, to Amanda's point, you can certainly see the provinces are paying attention based by people who are uh, not only looking at uh, today's newsletter, but, but sharing it as well. So, for sure, there are other provinces that are keeping tabs on this. Amanda, I, I man, just kind of putting on your consultant's hat for a second and the work you've done with the Canadian Gaming Association and keeping tabs in this industry. Is this is this the story? And Chris Abbott may have some thoughts on this too with his previous uh previous employers. Um, has this been a a, a court proceeding that that or a, a case that operators Ontario have been talking about or, or keeping close tabs on?
0: Uh, I think, um, you know, not something that they've been following to distraction. Um, Paul did have a member's town hall this morning for CJ members, and he got one question from one operator, um, and that was it. So I think the fact that there hasn't really been a lot of information coming out of um, Igo, Martha Otten hasn't provided too many updates to the operator community on this. Um, I think they were going in feeling fairly confident Um, But, you know, we'll all see the result when the judge issues her decision and her verdict in this. But it's it's I think, you know, there are some there's Senator Scott Tannis has a Senate bill um, that is trying to go about, you know, achieving the same the same results for First Nations. And I think this is just something that is, you know, going to be playing out um, in the backdrop to, you know, Ontario you know, with its regulated market, you know, hopefully Alberta following, hopefully some other provinces following. I think this is just something that will be playing out um, as they try and figure out, you know, what role, you know, and how First Nations can participate in this industry. Chris, did you want to chime in here?
4: Yeah. I mean, I guess um, what I would say is I don't think that any operators are are worried that the, the Ontario license is going to go away And their business is going to suffer um if anything i would think that it's you know keeping an eye on it is there going to be another license that's acceptable in the in the jurisdiction um you know that that's kind of all that i think that I think anyone would be paying attention to. I don't think any of the operators are thinking that, oh, our whole business that exists in Ontario now is going to go away if if this if there's a ruling here um, and the province is going, isn't going is going to let it all completely fall apart either. they would just be maybe back to the drawing board at, at a worst, right? So um, yeah, I think it's something that everyone keeps an eye on from regulatory and compliance perspective. But at the end of the day, international operators, I mean, I don't know that they necessarily care who uh they're getting a license from. They just want access to the players. So even if it all went upside down, they'd they'd only just apply to another license, I think. So um yeah, I don't think it's something that it's it's really a, a huge, huge issue.
1: Right. Hey Jeff, this this uh, this is probably an unfair question, but I'll I'll ask it anyway. Just um you know, Judge Brownstone mentioned that there there's a decision to come at some point. Like, the, any gut feeling at all on a timeline? Like, are, are we talking weeks or or, or months? And I, like I said again, it's probably uh, I'm probably hanging out to dry here.
2: Yeah, it's it's tough to nail it down, but the the sense I, I got just kind of asking some questions after the hearing was potentially months before we get um, a a decision on it. It's there was no hard timeline given by by the justice before she uh before the court adjourned for the day. Um I did I did just want to just go back to some what you know what Phil Amanda and Chris were saying. And just one of the things that, that that kind of came to mind listening to all of what was said this week is like the respective binds that both sides are in here. Uh you know, Phil noted that the real economic pressure that um the community is under, the Kahnawake is under, um, and that, you know, they had said that, you know, gambling is this inherent right that they've had dating back to time immemorial. And so they've been doing this for a long time. And now uh, they're they're feeling a financial squeeze uh, because of the regulation that, that Ontario has imposed on people uh, that potentially used to, to work with uh, the MCK, uh, with, with the Kahnawake Gaming Commission. So you have that, and then you also have the bond that the, the province was in where they were, you know, sitting there watching uh, residents of the province wagering untold uh, amounts of money with offshore and gray market operators, and were trying to figure out a way to, you know, bring that into a, a regulated system. And so uh, that kind of came through, if not in court, in what's been said outside of court uh, as well. So it, it's really you you see um i guess what, what's driving the, the motivations here in, in in those ways
4: uh any final words from anybody on this topic i well, just uh jeff jeff mentioned something about uh it, it could have been set up as a parlay heavy sports betting industry as if that's not what's emerged <laughs> yes <laughs> that's, that's that very true. Yeah, no no
3: com- no comment on that Steve. <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks thanks uh chris and phil I,
2: i've uh, i've said so much so, sorry steve I, i've said so much but i just i just wanted to say one more thing and it goes back to like the very canadianness uh, of the whole situation that, that amanda mentioned because this is um something that that could be tackled in parliament that that could be debated and addressed through um legislation um they you know if, if ottawa if everyone in ottawa got together and tomorrow and hammered out a definition of conduct and manage we would know for certain what that would mean uh but it just hasn't and you know to go back to what phil was saying about uh the bill c2 on it uh c218 debate where you had uh the mck raising concerns and they were kind of you know they were heard but they weren't acted on and so that issue now is is, that lingered and it's now um, an issue that's being talked about in the courts too now
3: yeah, and it's imperative the Ganawagi at this point. They 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 were shut out. They were ignored. They they were excluded from the process. They were not given a voice, and they've been operating, you know, in Canada as a self-regulated uh, body for for you know almost thirty years, and uh, you know to to, to now um, have that in jeopardy, which it certainly is. That they cannot. Um, uh, go into Ontario and operate as their own regulated body with their own licensees is really the question, which, and uh, which is uh, again, a a question for, you know, perhaps the Supreme court of Canada and and, and a constitutional question to, to their inherent right to self governance and and self, uh, you know, self commerce. A word from our sponsor.
2: Hey there, sports fans. Are you looking for fresh and fun takes on the hottest topics in Canadian sports? Well, we've got just what you need. Introducing Homestand Sports today, your go-to daily sports newsletter, bringing you the Canadian angle on the hottest NHL, NBA, footy stories, and more right to your inbox. But wait, there's more. Homestand Sports isn't just another text-heavy newsletter. Every story has its own video featuring our talented hosts like me, Albert Vartanian, giving you a newsletter experience like never before. And did I mention it's a free subscription? Subscribe now at Homestand.ca.
1: Now back to the show. I want to move on to another piece of uh, news that, that Jeff uh, Jeff broke that we covered in our tu- Tuesday newsletter. Thanks to him. And again, I was joking to Jeff this morning on either uh, on uh, on X or, or LinkedIn that next next time we see each other, I said a beer, but Jeff, I think probably I need to buy you lunch or buy buy you dinner. And that was your uh, your post on uh, on Monday. I, I believe that uh, Unibet now has a date when that's going to exit on Ontario, and that's that's March 26. And um, again, I'll maybe start with Jeff and then and, and go to Amanda. Uh, Jeff, are you hearing any other rumblings at all about? Again, we've talked here about operators leaving the marketplace on this on the second anniversary of regulated gambling here in Ontario. But it, have you heard any rumblings at all that the others are going to follow Unibet?
2: Um, not personally, I put out some feelers whenever the stuff comes out just to, to, to check in with people. I haven't heard, heard a ton lately and maybe it's for whatever reason, it's just uh, people who have the, the, you know, the licenses aren't coming up for renewal yet or, or what have you, but um, no, not, not a ton. And if you look at it, you know, the people that are sticking around and that are making the biggest splash are ones that have... Uh, financial resources to, to stick it out. You know, I don't think anyone's uh, like an entity like FanDuel or Bet Three Six Five or what have you. They like, they have uh, they have some some money behind them to, to to stick it out, even if they aren't perhaps getting the the, the revenue share that they want at this point.
1: Uh, Amanda?
0: Yeah. Well, to be clear, the Unibet uh, pulling out of the market was a result of the sale of kindred to the French National Lottery and the agitation of an activist, you know, board member, um, you know, who wasn't pleased with, you know, how hard it was for Unibet to turn profit in North America. Um, so it wasn't because they felt Ontario was a bad market. Ontario is a expensive market. There's a heavy compliance requirement in this market, but it, it was really, you know, for that reason that that they're exiting out of all of North America, not just Ontario. So just to be clear on the Unibet reason for leaving. um, I know just from anecdotal conversations I've had um, with the operators, they're expecting some other operator departures. Um, Don't know who, don't know when. uh, Easy enough to go to the AGCO website and search and see, you know, whose licenses are up for renewal in the next six months. There are a handful of operators, but my other suspicion is, and, You know, to be to be clear, this is just my my suspicion is I think there are a lot of smaller operators who've come in and are probably a little bit underwater in Ontario. Um, They're not making a ton of revenue, um, so they are financing their Ontario activities by being a gray market operator in other Canadian provinces. Um, I have a strong suspicion that's how you're seeing some of these still surviving because between the big, you know, call them U.S. operators and then you throw in like Supergroup and the microgaming brands and Entain and, you know, Bet365, you know, that's probably the majority of your market share (laughs) right there. Throw in a bit of points bet and a bit of score bet. That's probably your market share. So when you're looking at the other, you know, thirty odd operators st- still sticking around here, and you're wondering how they're able to do it if they've got, you know, zero point zero one percent market share, um, it's probably their gray market activities in the rest of Canada. So then you have to start wondering if that's actually a healthy way for this market to be operating. Not, not a, not a conversation for us, or not an, uh, an issue for us to solve today. Um, but I, I, just think that if this, op- this, this market is too difficult to competitive, too much being required, you know, (laughs) from a compliance perspective, um, you know, and a lot of fees attached to being here, um, that the only way some operators can survive is gray market activity, then to me, that 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 points to some changes needing to be made. But again, this is a suspicion that I have, I, I, I don't know this for a fact.
1: Hey, Chris, do you want to add anything to Amanda's suspicions?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think that definitely could be could be part of the situation, um, you know, multiple markets. But as, something else I think is that. There's there's been a pullback of marketing spend, which is the the toughest part about being here. Uh, And some might just be existing. Right. And and whatever they gain organically, if that's enough for the number to be black instead of red at the end of the year, no matter how big it is, then it might be worthwhile. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's tough. I mean, there's a reason when you look south and the, the new states that come online have the same five or six brands. I mean, it's it's really, really tough. So, um, yeah, I think there'll be some attrition. I think you're going to see other brands try and come in and stick their nose in and, and check it out. Still, I know of a couple that are that are, you know, angling towards licensing this year. So it remains to be seen. I, I think um, if you're asking me, I thought there would be more brands pulling out by the two year anniversary. So and, and maybe there will be a few more announced, but um you know, we've also seen that it's a pretty big market, and there's there's there is lots of money changing hands. So even if you get a little bit of a lot, it still might be enough for for you.
1: Yeah, that's a good uh, good point about the brands, Chris. Uh, in the stateside stories section of the newsletter for our paid subscribers this morning, we referenced I think it was a sports sports handle story about um, uh, eight operators being ready to go to North Carolina when it launches legal sports betting on March 11th. And, they, and again, to man point they're all they're all uh, well-known well-known operators or well well-known brands hey phil any uh any last thoughts on on this one
3: i i would i would hazard a guess and again this isn't a conversation uh for today as a, as amanda was alluding to that uh yes there are a lot of operators that are sustaining their um their uh their feasibility in Ontario uh, operating in the grain market. I know that absolutely for a fact. Um, I think that as well, you know, with the, with the advertising limitations that have come down in Ontario, it may for perhaps maybe some of the tier two operators to have a little bit more of a level playing field. And as, as you know, as Chris was saying, too, if you can just get, you know, a little bit of the market share, you know, it's, it's still a great deal of money. And if you're and and if you're operating, you know, a, a VIP program, um, you know, a bonusing program for for clients that um, that are long-term value, uh, um, it can be worth your while to stay for sure.
1: Hey Jeff, I wanna wanna uh, move over to uh, where like, as we record this show on LinkedIn audio, we're six days away from the implementation of the new advertising standards by the Alcohol and Gaming Commission on Ontario. And again, are you, when you talk to your sources and contacts out there, it feels like we're, you know, we've we've covered all the exciting stuff's happened. I mean, this this deadline's going to come on, on the 28th, and, and the standards are going to be put into place with a lot of fanfare. Are you hearing anything that's contrary to that feeling?
2: No, I, I think uh, everyone's had a lot of notice here. This was announced a fair bit ago um, that it was coming. Uh, we had some. The, the real pressure was about trying to clarify some of what um, the AGCO was proposing and, and trying to get as specific as possible. Which is something that the AGCO <laughs> um, that doesn't like to do because they, you know, subscribe to the this. Um, what do you like a standard based approach is is what they call it, where they don't want to necessarily prescribe exactly how you go about your business, but they want to make sure that you still um, comply with, with the goals they've set for you and for for themselves. So uh, I I thought some of what that clarification actually put out or that the agency put out was, uh, was pretty interesting, including um, that it looks like everyone's favorite uh, intermission, halftime betting segments are, uh safe um that you know you can still put those on it looks like based on the the clarification that went out Uh, i I stand to be corrected there uh but that that was something i noticed and yeah i mean the super bowl has come and gone so the the advertising up to there was good to go and so now we've got march Madness right in the corner that might be a pain point but no other than that i feel like um, there was a lot of notice given and now we're just finally getting to the actual implementation
1: Something that uh, Amanda and I went back and forth on by email earlier in the week was I, I happened to be watching a professional women's hockey league game on Sunday afternoon on Sportsnet, and and an ad popped up for uh, an operator I'd never heard of before, Quick Hit Slots, and Jerry O'Connell, who was who by the way was was great and Jerry Maguire, was uh, was the uh, was the pitchman for that product, and uh, again, I, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Amanda, but the, it, it talks about the commercial talks about being able to download it for free, but then you get a 6 million coin bonus. And and you and I, again, just talked about kind of this gray area about the, these um, companies that advertise free free to play, and it's not quite so free to play.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of one of the conundrums that is still driving some operators in this market um kind of you know consternation is the fact that that's the .net advertising or the social gaming so you're not required to deposit any money um, you're not necessarily playing for money um or you're not playing for money I should say um and so it's it's free now you know we all know it's a slippery slope from you know the social gaming or the .net gaming into full on full blown .com you know Casino real money gaming and it's a backdoor that is still open. Um, Ontario hasn't closed it um, and there's really starting to be a greater outcry that our attorney general or our government needs to move on that um, because it's allowing operators like Bodog to continue to advertise um, in in Ontario and across Canada. So it's a topic I pitched to Paul Burns for the Canadian gaming summit. And I think it would be a good one uh, to have, you know, with the Canadian gaming industry there, um, a conversation about really, you know, in 2024, With one regulated market, you know, in the country, and others hopefully to follow, um, is there really still a need for this type of advertising? Knowing at this point in time, it's it's kind of being exploited by operators who aren't coming in to get licenses. Um, So it's not making me feel really warm and fuzzy, Steve, when I see that, especially for our women's hockey league. Um, So uh, you know, I I expect I will be renewing my. my request that we do table this for a national discussion um in june at the summit but you know i'll uh, also see if i can drop it in the ears of people like uh, paul burns and Troy Ross, who have more frequent conversations with government that i do that i really think it's one of those loopholes that really needs to be closed now especially in ontario
1: chris do you agree with amanda's take here
4: yeah, I mean, this, this one specific, specifically the the quick hit, I mean, I know that's a feature and a brand inside some slot games, but I, I don't know that they, they are because, you know, I'm not. So what's the play? They, they get you to your free-to-play and then they redirect you to a, um, a real money site, which is not allowed under the terms of the TV advertising and the free-to-play. So um, I'd, I'd need to learn a little bit more about what the methodology is there, but if they're buying um airtime on sportsnet then you know there's got to be there has got to be some profit model in there somehow um but yeah i mean it's um it goes back to what we were talking about uh, earlier in the breakdown of, of so many different gambling jurisdictions in the country and what's legal and what's not and then broadcasters with national reach that are based in ontario so that you know there's so many different angles to look at it um and, you know, there's there's so much else going on in, in our world of governance, um, both federally and provincially. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't really have have a take or a solution on that. I just think that um, at the end of the day, yeah, it is certainly a loophole that's being exploited. And, um, you know, everyone knows what's what's what the end game is there. So it's kind of it's kind of contradictory.
3: Yeah. Phil Gray. Yeah, that, I mean that's been going on for a long time. We were offered when I was at Sports Interaction, you know, over over a decade ago by one of the major broadcasters when we were looking to expand our marketing coverage within what we could do at that time, still operating under uh under the KGC as a fully compliant um in that territory and and within the framework of uh, the laws we saw at the time. We were offered um broadcast uh advertising spots if if we uh created a .net site, which as Chris says, I mean it's it, you're not supposed to redirect but they do that's exactly what you do you click, you click on the free to play site and there's you know there's there's prompts to go to the the pay for play site and you see it right up to now on major broadcasts as you were saying steven there's one particular broadcast that 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 does it um you know uh consistently and right in the face of everybody and uh it's unfair and it's, it's disturbing for sure
1: I hey, want, want to move on Uh probably the last topic we covered today, and that's uh, the American Gaming Association held its annual State of the Industry event on uh, on Tuesday, uh, kind of a half-hour presentation on Tuesday morning with with Bill Miller, the president of the AGA and, and other executives, and and then I had a chance to sit in on a, on a Q&A session for media afterwards. Jeff, I'm not sure if you were able to do that as well, but um, again, the AGA is touting you know record record revenue numbers for commercial gaming ar- across the U.S. Um, you know 60, uh, 66.5 billion dollars in revenue last year. I think that's a twenty percent hike from from the previous year. Uh, third consecutive record revenue year for commercial gaming across the U.S. and uh, also of, of note that online gaming made up almost a quarter of commercial gaming revenue, and that's that's a new high. I guess first question, Jeff, did, did you have a chance either to to follow the the state of the industry address or or, or read some of the coverage?
2: uh I didn't have a chance to tune into the call. I think I was in court at that point. Um, I, right. I can't recall, but I I I read some of the coverage and I, I looked over the report, and you know I I think it all. Really, you know, it, it makes sense to see the, these huge numbers because you have seen additional states launch legal sports betting and online sports betting uh, over the past year. You know, you had in 2023 states like Kentucky, uh, Massachusetts come online that that helped bolster the handle. The only other point I would really make about it is that this capture, you know, the snapshot that they provided um, deals with commercial gaming, so it doesn't touch on uh, the tribal gaming aspect, which. Right. When we're talking about sports betting, is actually kind kind of a big deal because if you look at the state of Florida, which is you know second most populous state in the U.S., they have legal sports betting there, but it's provided by one operator that's not being captured here, Hard Rock, and they are you know they have the entire state to themselves, and they've been back up and running since um, you know mid-November, I think, is when it was, and the the reports we've seen from you know investment banks, for example, suggest that having access in that state alone is huge for hard rock that they, you know, their nationwide market share is up into the the teens. I think just because they have access to Florida and you know, that that's not presented here, but that's something I think that's just worth noting.
1: The other thing I would suggest is worth noting to Amanda is again. And again, we, we, we certainly people who cover the industry know this, but in the U S there are only are six legal i-gaming jurisdictions right now. And, and we've, followed quite extensively in the newsletter and and these, these Thursday afternoon forums, just the, the push in the U S for, for more States to, uh, to bring regulated i-gaming uh, aboard. Um, and I think the other thing too, is that Bill Miller was asked on the media call about, um, about cannibalization of, 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 uh, of retail casinos by by iGaming and and that's something that we've we've talked about and and has been kind of knocked knocked down I feel as long as we've been doing the doing news newsletters and getting and get her on on Thursday afternoons I mean I don't know if you had a chance to read the report at all or follow the coverage but was there is there anything noteworthy that we maybe Jeff and I have missed?
0: yeah I have to admit, um I do get the invitations from Bill Miller, and I try to eyeball sort of the news reports that come after and I know that you know the whole cannibalization you know is a is a big issue for them because they're having some differing of opinions, but you know the u s is such a different uh different landscape than what we have in Canada. You know their population is huge compared to what we have in Canada. Um, And they have, you know, a very different balance between land-based gaming, also tribal gaming, and then the way they've set up some of their multi-product jurisdictions, um, a lot of tethering requirements like you see in New Jersey, um, which, you know, Thank goodness Ontario didn't didn't go that route, but it works really well in New Jersey. Um, so I think, it, you know, to try to compare apples to oranges, you really you really can't. Um, and I think the thing to, you know, specific to Ontario and land based gaming and looking at what the U.S. is dealing with right now. Um, you know, when COVID hit, you know, anything that could go online, you know, that was basically the lifeline for any any business. And certainly with this industry opening in Ontario coming out of the tail end of COVID, um, it was really looking at an exciting opportunity for our land-based casinos to be able to enter into the market as well. Now, to date, falls view casino Niagara through their uh, ownership structure with mohegan is really one of the only ones to take advantage of it i think woodbine's got a referral deal with olg through great canadian but it's it's really you know hoping that you know as we now have an online gaming market in ontario um, we can reach the point where we have a holistic gaming strategy for the province instead of a fractured strategy like, oh, well, G's in this corner and the casinos are in that corner and the online operators are in that corner and you got AGCO here and I go there. It's very fractured right now. So I think for any markets too specific to the cannibalization, even looking at the U.S. too, as long as you can try and figure out you know from a statewide perspective or up here a province- wide perspective what your holistic gaming strategy is so everyone can come in everyone can participate there's one set of standards one conducted manager one set of you know so everyone's kind of you know playing you know as uh, with as level of playing field as possible I think that's you know the the their the best chance for success to make sure that your land-based operators are able to, you know, fully participate, but they're also, you know, going to be playing, you know, by the same rules that everyone else is too, or, you know, vice versa. So I think that it was a long way of saying, no, I didn't sit there and listen to it, but I know that the cannibalization is is going to be a bit of a hotly debated topic still south of the border.
1: Hey, Phil, I'll start with you, but I want to get Chris's opinion on this as well. Um, Miller also talked about in the, uh, the media session about, uh, about 2023, and and given the economic uncertainty that's that's out there in the world right now, they they were wondering what the numbers would would look like. And as he said, the industry, the gambling industry in the U.S. over overperformed. And he did make the point yesterday that at some point things are going to level off a, a little bit. And and we've seen a similar picture in in Canada, where if you look at OLG and other. Uh, lottery and gaming corporations across the country they've they've had very healthy increases the last couple of years especially on the on the digital gambling gambling side Uh, just put on your betting cap Phil. like is there like how far away is the point where we do see the industry start to level off and we're not seeing these double digit uh,
3: revenue increases every year well I think that I mean that that's it's always uh, you know some of the operators especially you know that that was cognizant to me Going into the Ontario um, um, with um, process with 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 some of the big operators and the the, uh, the projections that they had for growth, to me were unrealistic. But still, there there's still the opportunity for a lot of growth. You know, I can go back to 2006 when uh, you know I was sitting there and uh, the UEGA um, Act was passed by the United States. Um, prohibiting processing payments from banks to to uh, to ga- gaming companies. And at that time, there was an estimate, there was a th- figure thrown out that, that the, ga- the gaming industry in the, in the United States at, at that time, online gaming industry, was worth 12 billion, $12 billion. And I was sitting there, well, I think you could put a two or three in front of that because it was much larger. And so to see the numbers now, not a surprise whatsoever. I think there's still a ton of room for growth. And as, as Amanda was saying, I think as we get to some sort of cohesive and we're years away from that, some sort of cohesive partnership amongst all the entities. Uh, it, it's the potential still is, is huge for growth in gaming. It's uh you know, it's part of the fabric of society right now. Just, just look at it in North America. And I go back again, you know, five, six years ago, it wasn't like that. So you're still looking, I think at another half decade of, uh, of immense growth. Hey, Chris, last word to you on this one.
4: Yeah. I mean, um, very similar to what phil said like i don't see you know the numbers that come out and we're x percent of where we were last year or last quarter well of course you are you're bringing money either back on shore or regulating new states or both so you know that doesn't impress me all that much um but yeah you're still bringing states online right you're talking about uh, the north carolina just this morning so um there's a long ways to go um there's still you know 40 um odd states that could you know potentially have uh casino come online which would you know if they think their sports betting revenues are a lot wait till they see their casino revenues. so um yeah i mean it's 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 only a matter of time and uh those numbers are going to continue to grow for a while um when they eventually do level off be curious to see how how much growth we're talking about year over year
3: that's that's when i'll really pay attention to those kind of numbers. What's not being counted at all, really, in, in all those figures, is still the great market that operates in North America. It's massive, and it's you know, it's still, it's still thriving. And with the advent of you know of cryptocurrency and and the younger part of the population that understands that and knows how to trade in it, um, the, the, and you, it's impossible to shut down. You're not going to shut it down. Um. It, so you, you can you can take those figures that that you know that are official and and come from regulated um, reporting bodies and that and probably double them for what's happening in North America right now as far as online gaming.
4: Yeah, and and just one last point on that. I think uh, you know when you're talking about the the guys who and gals I guess who bet real big in sports, not much of that is happening on a regulated book. There might be a couple, but a lot of that is is gray or black market as well. So, I mean, you, you're you're talking about revenues for, for the people who are putting their hundred bucks in a week or whatever. But there's there's so much more <laughs> that really I, will never be counted.
3: That that's another discussion though, and not for today about 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 limiting because there are you know there are at and that's not supposed to happen in some regulated markets, Ontario particularly, that people are allowed to get down six finger single bets. Um, uh, online uh and and they are doing it yep let's let's definitely
1: leave that conversation for another day because we've run out of time um jeff sakoni from covers hey jeff thanks thanks so much for joining us and, and again really really great work uh this week and uh really appreciate your your time and take an hour out of your thursday to uh to join us
2: thanks for having me i'm not done with the subject, it looks like even today. So uh, stay tuned for, for more reporting on that
1: front. Yeah. And again, for the listeners and for people who get the podcast as well, you can follow Jeff at, at uh, Covers.com. And and uh, Jeff always uh, does a great job linking to his stories on his X account slash tw- Twitter account. And you can, again, find him at Jeff, G- G-E-O-F-F, so code z-o-c-h o-d-n-e. Um, so great, uh, great stuff. Uh, thanks as always to our, our regulars, Amanda Brewer, Chris Abbott, and, and Phil Gray for your, uh, for your insight and, and information again this week. Uh, as always, we, we take the LinkedIn audio shows and thanks for everybody for hanging in there for the hour to listen to us on this platform. But uh, we do create a podcast that'll be posted on Gaming News Canada and also the, uh, the various streaming platforms on, on Monday morning. Uh, Please enjoy the rest of this penultimate week of February 2024, and uh, we look forward to seeing everybody again here next week.
2: Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at GamingNewsCanada.ca. Follow
4: Steve McAllister on LinkedIn. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.